Thank you, and once again, good morning to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our broadcast today deals with the uh, series of lessons concerning Christology, the life, person, and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the series of lessons that follow our study of theology. We've just finished six lessons, or 12 lessons, on God the Father. Now we're taking up the study of 34 broadcasts on Christology, the lessons about God the Son. On these broadcasts, of course, we are getting what the Scriptures say about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, quite independently of anybody's opinion about it, or quite independently of anybody's teaching about it. We realize, of course, in America we have freedom of religion and freedom of uh, opinion, which is perfectly all right and perfectly proper. However, when people get intolerant of what the Bible says about things, they show they don't really believe in their freedoms after all. The uh, upset uh, that is caused among some people, and they're deeply, de- being deeply disturbed by the presentation of Bible truth about the Bible, shows that many of the people who profess to be liberal and broad-minded are very narrow-minded, and in the final analysis are religious bigots. On these broadcasts, we are presenting what the Bible says about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, now, lesson today, we're dealing with the scriptures that speak about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those who do not believe in the virgin birth of Christ. This is perfectly all right. You can believe whatever you want to believe. It's a free country. Help yourself. However, the scriptures plainly teach it and plainly back it up many times, and the obvious implications of the doctrine are, are rather dramatic. For if Jesus Christ were not virgin-born, then he was just like you, and if he was a rascal like you, I wouldn't trust him as far as I could kick this radio station with my left foot. And that's the kind of talk that people deeply resent. And they resent it because they're intellectually dishonest. Any man who's had time to examine his life through a period of 10, 20, and 30 years knows that he is a sinner and that he not only does wrong, but constantly violates his own standards and is not consistent with his own moral standards. Nobody bats a thousand, except the hypocrites who think they do when they're batting less than 200. All you have to do to find out how you're batting is compare your life with the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why some people don't like to believe about him, because the standard is appalling. And when you compare your life and your standards with those of his, you realize the hideous truth that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In other words, the reason why many a person in America has a very opinionated opinion about Christ is because they are a religious bigot and a hypocrite and do not dare compare their life with his life, lest they appear for what they really are, a pygmy. We're now dealing with the virgin birth of Christ. In our last lesson, we learned that Jesus Christ was deity. He was God manifest in the flesh. In the story told every Christmas time, we learned that Jesus became a man and took upon himself the form and likeness of a man. This is mentioned in Philippians chapter 2. Psalm 51.5 says the average man is shaped in iniquity and conceived in sin. Psalm 58 says the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. So if Jesus Christ had a human father, he inherited a sinful nature, and then he was a sinner and died for his own sins. The belief in the virgin birth then becomes mandatory to a sound man who's honest about his sins. For if Jesus Christ was just another son of Adam's helpless race, then he was a sinner exactly like you are, and certainly did not rise from the dead. The virgin birth then and the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ hang or fall on the same grounds. 
A man who says he believes in the resurrection of Christ, but not the virgin birth, is very inconsistent indeed. For after all, if Jesus Christ was not born sinless with a different nature than you have, then obviously he is where you will be, in a hole in the ground. Now, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, then, is the crucial point of Scripture and the crux between uh, Christ's personality and his life and work and the life and work of any other religious leader. After all, anybody can find Muhammad's grave. The body is still there. Anybody can find Buddha's grave. The body is still there. There is no pope who ever died whose corpse cannot be produced. But nobody's ever found the missing corpse on Christ. Somebody said, well, that's because, no, you haven't thought it out. You're just talking. Your mind works quickly like a flying saucer and it stops and turns at an angle without thinking. Anybody could have found that corpse. There were more people looking for that corpse than have looked for the corpse of any man who ever died, including Will Rogers and Glenn Miller. No. No, if anybody could have found the corpse, they would have found it. The Roman soldier's life depended upon finding it, and the leaders of Israel, the religious leaders of Israel, their testimony depended upon finding it. If they could have found it, they certainly would have found it. The virgin birth determines the resurrection and vice versa. Even though Christ lived a sinless life, if he had a sinful nature, he could have saved nobody. If Christ were born with a sin nature, how was this accomplished? Now, God the Father solved this problem by what is called the virgin birth. And the mystery of the virgin birth is to be believed and accepted by Bible-believing people. It's called a great mystery in 1 Timothy 3.16, where we are told that it is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus did not have a human father, for the Holy Spirit was his father. Mary was the mother, but did not pass on a sin nature to the baby Jesus, because the child gets his nature from the seed, and the seed comes from the father. That isn't all. There's a much more important passage that has to do with this matter that absolutely puts the reader or the religious devotee in the position of having to accept or reject. And that's the fact that in Jeremiah chapter 22, the Lord prophesied that no man could ever sit down on the throne of David who came from the physical seed of Caniah and Zedekiah. Now, when Christ was born in Luke chapter 1, verse 30 to 33, Mary was told that he'd get the throne of his father, David. In Psalm 110, the Messiah is said to get the throne of his father, David. In Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter prophesies the Messiah will get the throne of his father, David. In Matthew chapter 19, this is called the throne of his glory, as it's found in Jeremiah, not Revelation 20. The white throne is never confused with the throne of God's glory, which is the earthly throne of David. If therefore Jesus had a human father, like all religious liberals believe, and all students of oriental religions, who have a way of rejecting scientific fact, we talked about that in our last broadcast when we talked about the computerized mathematical phenomena that had to do with the prophetic material in the Word of God. When all these people get together, they reject the simple fact that if Jesus Christ came from the seed of the Jewish kings that inherited the throne of David, he could not have the throne of David. Therefore, the seed had to be supernatural. 
And one time when Jesus spoke of these things, he said to the religious lights of the day, If David and the Spirit call him his son Lord, saying, My Lord said unto the Lord said to my Lord, how is he then his son? And the answer is, he couldn't be unless his father was God. No Jewish father would ever call his son Lord. It's out of the question. The virgin birth is foretold in the Old Testament. The first reference in Genesis 3.15 says the woman will have a seed, which, of course, no woman has. In Genesis 12.1, God called Abraham to be the father of a chosen nation. Then out of that chosen nation, God picked one tribe, Genesis 49.10. Out of this one tribe, we're told that from this one tribe, from one city in this tribe, the man will come. In 2 Samuel 7, 8, 16, the Savior would be born of the family of David to be a son of David, and David came from Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7, 14, we have the actual prophecy, quote, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is repeated in Matthew 1, 23, where the Greek word, parthenos, can only be translated virgin, never young woman. So all the nonsense about Alma, as in Alma Mater, your virgin mother, son. All the talk about Alma in Hebrew chapter 7, 14, referring to young woman, is blasphemous nonsense. The word was interpreted by the Holy Spirit in Matthew 1, 23 to be Parthenos, which never means young woman. It means virgin. In Isaiah 9, 6, the prophecy was that Jesus Christ, the human one, was to be born at the Son of Man, but the divine God was to be given, for Jesus Christ as God brought us the gift of God, which is eternal life. The historic fulfillment of the prophecy of the virgin birth is found in Matthew 1 and Luke 2. Mary was engaged to Joseph, but they were not married yet. Christ was born of a virgin, but a betrothed virgin, so that she could be married to protect her good name. Mary's conception was definitely from the Holy Ghost, if you believe the Bible record, and not from her fiancé Joseph or any other man whatsoever. Otherwise, Christ was an illegitimate child born out of wedlock, and his uh, mother was a fornicator. Try that on your next Catholic friend, who is beginning to slip in his beliefs in the virgin birth and the deity of Christ and the basic doctrine of the Word of God. The Pharisees understood perfectly the implication of the virgin birth, for they said of Jesus Christ when they got angry with him, We not, be not born of fornication, we've got Abraham for our father. Obviously saying, You are born of fornication. The Lord encouraged Joseph to marry Mary, to be a companion and guide to her in order to protect her from the extremity of the law. The severity of the law, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, says he can put her away, or in some conditions she can be stoned. Matthew 1.25 tells us that though Joseph and Mary were married, they never lived together as husband and wife until after the birth of the Savior. After the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ has other brothers and sisters according to the flesh, and they are listed by name in Mark 6 in spite of the bigoted, dogmatic superstition of Bible-rejecting Christians who think their church is smarter than God. And they are called brethren, brothers, and sisters. This is why the firstborn has been removed from the new Bibles in Matthew chapter 1 to protect the bigoted, dogmatic, private interpretation of narrow-minded people who think they're smart enough to correct the Word of God. In the Word of God, Christ is the firstborn, and Mary has brothers and sisters to him after his birth, according to the Scripture. 
not according to your opinion or your religious upbringing. God took special care to insert the verse uh, with this intimate detail to show us that the unborn child could not possibly be contaminated by a human father, for after all the seed is the male's. In spite of the contemporary women live bunko, for anybody knows that a woman has no seed and a man does. Therefore, to say they are the same is the utmost foolishness of insane, blasphemous nonsense, which is quite common where a government is turning communistic and trying to create an ecumenical and sexual magpie nest of indiscriminate mongrel Ottomans indiscriminately blended in the blender. <laughs> you have to defy your senses, friend. You have to deny your God-given right to think to believe in such foolishness. The scientific facts are never in line with the ecumenical, social, religious, communistic magpie nest. You have to violate every law of nature to create such a holocaust. The virgin birth is taught in Scripture. Some people try to maintain that Paul did not teach the virgin birth of Christ, and this is because Paul doesn't use the exact expression, but Paul knew perfectly well the risen Christ was virgin-born, as is apparent by 2 Corinthians 15.8, and Isaiah 7, 14, and Colossians 1, 15 to 17. And in Romans chapter 1, when Paul speaks of the resurrection, he speaks about Christ as coming according to the seed of David, as, quote, according to the flesh. That is, Paul recognized that Christ's spiritual ancestry is God the Father, being born by the Holy Spirit of spiritual seed, and the only way that you can connect Jesus Christ to the house of David and the throne of David is through Mary, according to the flesh, the fact that Christ's other nature was the Son of Man. Christ, of course, acknowledges two natures, as the Son of God and as the Son of Man. Isaiah prophesied of the Savior's birth 740 years before it actually happened. And Matthew explicitly states that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of a virgin, Matthew 1.18, Matthew 1.20, and Matthew 1.23. Luke, a medical doctor, a registered physician, would be most interested in this medical phenomena. After all, every child must have a father. Who was the father of the baby Jesus? If the father was human, then he had a sinful nature, and you're still in your sins right now. And you'll die in your sins. If Jesus Christ had a human father, he was no different than Muhammad or Buddha or Laotse or Maotse or Gandhi or Kagawa or any religious nut setting himself up to be something that he's not when he's nothing but a self-deluded pagan. Jesus Christ said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come the father but by me. If he had a human father, that was the funniest story a sinner ever told. Imagine the nerve and conceit of a man standing up and saying, No man can come to God except by me. What a thing to say! But he said it, and he said, No man can know the Father except he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, are you fine, cultured, civilized, intelligent, religious people with college educations? Are you trying to tell us that a man could talk like that and get anybody to believe it if he was a sinner like you? Why, who would believe a cock-and-bull story like that? 
Who would believe a man who sat up when somebody gave money to the poor and worried about the donations, a man who sat up and say, well, you've always got the poor to help out, but you don't have me always to help out, so you better spend that money on me instead of the poor. That's what he said. Did you ever read that account about Mary breaking the alabaster box and anointing his feet with precious ointment? And Judas complaining about the poor and Christ saying, oh, don't worry about that. Put me ahead of the poor. Boy, try that one on Charlie Carl Morris and see how that one turns out. Try that one on the NEA or the Health Education Welfare Department or the government poverty programs and see how they take to that, boy. Now, let me tell you something, friend. If Jesus Christ was not supernaturally born by God, the Holy Spirit, with a supernatural nature, God manifests in the flesh, he was the biggest lying four-flusher that ever walked across the face of this earth. Now, if you don't like that, lump it. Don't get mad. Don't get upset. Don't holler about equal time and equal rights. Just face the fact like a great big grown man instead of a bottle-sucking baby. No man could say what Jesus Christ said and tell the truth about it if he had a human father. The trouble is, some of you folks like to pretend he didn't say things he said. But the same record that professes that he was virgin-born says he said what he said after he showed up on this earth. He sat down at the table one time with a man to eat, and the man looked at him and said to himself, you haven't washed your hands before you sat down at the table. And Christ said, you haven't washed your heart. Please pass the salt. Is that any way for a gentleman to talk? But how say you he was a gentleman and yet a normal man? No normal man who was a gentleman would talk that way. That's no way for a gentleman to talk. That isn't the so-called sweet spirit of Christ. What man would stand up and shake his fist in the face of a long-robed father, Matthew 23, and say, Woe to you, Pharisee, you hypocrite, you compass land and sea to make one proselyte, and when you get him converted, you make him twofold more of a child of hell than yourself. Now listen, you philosophical, psychological students of religion, you don't believe that a man should talk like that. But that's the way he talked. And you're here telling me that he was born of a human father and was a good man and a good man to follow and a great teacher when he talked like that and disclaimed his human father when Mary said, Didn't you know your father and I sought be sorrowing? He said, Hey, woman, don't you know I'm about my father's business? Why, Christ's human father or foster father or stepfather was a carpenter. And when Christ said, I'm about my father's business, he was in the temple. Is this any way for a young man to talk who's a decent young man? Deny his human ancestry? And claim God is his father, not in the sense that a liberal claims it, but in a unique sense? Christ didn't claim God was his father like some of you people talk about the fatherhood of God. Christ never prayed our father which art in heaven. He taught his disciples to pray our father. Christ never called God our father. He called Christ he called God the Father, my Father, and Holy Father. Now, did you ever stop to think about those things in regards or relationship to the virgin birth? How do you claim Christ was a good man and a great religious leader and a great teacher 
if he talked like a bomb-slinging anarchist and talked like a blasphemous, rude, aggressive, militant, bruising, vulgar attacker on the goodness of man. How do you explain that? Christ said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, is that any way for a man to talk? A good man? If you being evil. Christ took for granted you weren't any good to start with. Is that your idea of a Christian? I'll tell you, it isn't for some of you folks. Some of you folks, if you ran into Jesus Christ head on, you'd be trying to have him crucified in 24 hours. You haven't even considered what kind of a man he was. You've got all your information about him secondhand. If Christ wasn't virgin-born, God manifest in the flesh, he was the biggest con man, the biggest huckster that ever played the boards. Christ didn't claim to be God's son in the sense some of you folks claim to be. Christ said, I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not my teaching, by me. Luke carefully explains the virgin birth of Christ in Luke 127, 131, 134, and 135 as a licensed physician. In Luke 134, Mary asked the sensible question of the angel, How can I have a child when I'm not married? And she infers she was a pure virgin abhorring immorality, which, of course, a good Jewish woman, she had to be. Now, some of you folks don't have to be because you believe in premarital sex, which is the uh, educational word for fornication. Some of you folks know nothing about being a pure virgin or abhorring immortality, immorality because some of you people have uh, told it like it is not for so long, you don't know what it is anymore. In the free-wheeling, pre-morality situation ethics, the uh, essential happening of the phenomenal now, some of you folks haven't got enough sense to blow your nose when you have a cold, so what difference does it make? You can't deny Mary's condition, her situation, just because you are a godforsaken rascal yourself. She was a virgin, professed to be a virgin, and professed to not have carnal knowledge with a man. And Luke 135, the angel carefully explained that the Holy Ghost would be the father of the child that she'd bear. You say, I don't believe it. Then you've got a problem. And your problem is how to accept the Sermon on the Mount as the good teaching of a good master when you were dealing with a professional liar. For Christ at no time confessed Joseph as his father, but everywhere confessed God to be his father, and all the writers of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all emphasize his deity. Now, his favorite term for himself was the Son of Man, but notice he never calls himself a Son of Man. Not once, except perhaps in the new paraphrases and revisions put out by people who wanted to make a living off a book they never believed anyway. Now, what is the purpose of the virgin birth? Well, first of all, to reveal God, John 1.18. Jesus came to declare and reveal the Father to men as a God of compassion and love and a holy God who was sinless. The purpose of the virgin birth was to bridge the chasm between God and man. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. How is that for male chauvinism, sister? There is one God, Father, not Mother, one mediator between God and men, the man, not the woman, 
the man, Christ Jesus. In the Bible, God the Father is male, God the Son is male, God the Holy Spirit is male, the first man made is male, and the woman is from his flesh. Male flesh. Bone of his bone, Adam says, and flesh of his flesh. Now, do you see what we mean when we talk about the ecumenical, social, sexual magpie nest created by the international socialists who want to set up a uh, amalgamated, synthesized, integrated a race, a conglomerate of passive Ottomans who don't know what's what. The first thing you have to deny is your rational intelligence. After that, you can believe anything. Rational intelligence will show you the truth of these matters in no uncertain terms. They're biblical truths. The purpose of the virgin birth was to save men. Hebrews 2, 14 and 16 make it clear that Christ's purpose in taking on the nature of man and becoming like a man was to taste death for every man and take upon him the seed of Abraham, in order that he might suffer as a man and die as a man, be tempted as a man, and go through what a man goes through. This is worded so strong in Hebrews that the writer says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And finally, the Lord Jesus Christ came down here to be born of a virgin to rescue the whole creation. We know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now, Paul says, waiting for the redemption, to wit, the redemption of our body, to become a kind, compassionate, loving Savior and a Redeemer, God had to take the place of his fallen creation. No other plan will work. There's nothing any guru or chela can tell you in Himalaya. There's nothing the lamas can pull out of Mount Everest. There's nothing the Rosicrucians or the wisdom of this world has ever produced that could solve this simple problem. One, man is separated from God, and God, to be holy and just and righteous, cannot have fellowship with sinful man. Samadhi and nirvana cannot bridge the gap, for the man who goes into the self-hypnotic trance is still a sinner trying to commune with a sinless God. To bridge this gap, the gurus pretend that God is not sinless or sinful, but neuter. So the problem is still unsolved. The problem is only solved by God himself so loving the world that he comes down and produces himself in the flesh as a son of man and the son of God, and coming down producing himself as one of a human race one of the sons of Adam, yet without sin. He becomes tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And that he himself was tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted also. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastens and our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Only the virgin birth solves the problem of a sinless God redeeming a sinful creation. In our next lesson, we'll talk about the importance of the virgin birth, the significance of the virgin birth, and the objections to the doctrine. Until then, may the Lord bless you, and good day.